Wingapo, and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Well, Kyle, episode 15. We are back. We have a quite quite the topic to dive in here. Uh, it's one of the bigger ones after our uh, well-respected Mighty Ducks bracket. We're hopping back into kind of the classical Disney animation sphere. And we also have a new tiebreaker host to introduce. We have my beautiful girlfriend, Julia. What's going on, Julia? Hi, I'm so happy to finally be here after all this time, you dingus. She has been on me trying to get on this podcast since we started it, but I was waiting for the perfect episode to get her on. And this is one I think she knows a lot about because, you know, she has one of her own, so... I think she's going to be an expert on this topic. Prince Topher. Hey, <laughs> I hear that you uh, you have some strong opinions on this bracket, there, Julia. Um, I do have some strong opinions on this bracket. <laughs> we certainly can't wait to get to those, but before we do, let's get into our favorite segment: our spoonful of sugar. Kyle, what do you got today? So I broke out the old Smuggler's Cove uh, tiki drink book that we recently got here in the house, and I decided to make something called the Golden Gun, and this is uh, a little bit of lime juice, a little bit of grapefruit juice, some demerara sugar or syrup, some apricot liqueur that I substituted with peach because I didn't have apricot, um, a blended aged rum, a blended lightly aged rum, and some Angostura bitters, um, and it's probably the best and most authentic tiki drink that I've ever made. Usually I kind of half-ass it and don't use the correct ingredients, but I got pretty close on this one, and it is very delicious, and it is very potent, and I think my opinions are going to come out just as strong as this drink tonight. All right, well, I decided to go the tiki route as well. We're both big tiki guys, so this is not a surprise, but I went with the tiki classic. It's the Mai Tai. If you guys don't know what that is, it's white rum, dark rum, lime juice, orjo syrup, and orange curacao. And this is Mouse Madness, so I'm calling it the Mai Tai Breaker. Oh, I like because that Because you know this drink might sway some people's opinions, particularly yes. my own. Yes, absolutely. Julia, do you have a spoonful of sugar tonight? I do not. Podcast this princess routine. does not drink. Believe well, it or not. Well, I think that you're going to bring a level of reason to this to this bracket, <laughs> and it's going to be greatly appreciated. Yep. <laughs> As someone who almost works for Disney, I'm very opinionated on the topic. Oh, boy. Okay, before we get to the bracket, let's get into our banter section of this episode. We had a monumental moment in Disney history, Disney culture, Disney fandom. This week was the release and debut of Disney+, Plus, Disney's exclusive streaming platform, and a lot of people on the internet had opinions on that, including us. So we're going to talk about some of those right now. Kyle, first impressions on Disney+. Plus. Well, I happen to uh, be 
on a business trip when Disney Plus launched, but that did not keep me from running back to my hotel room to log right in. So first thing, you hop in, beautiful interface. Um, what I hate about some of these streaming services is just their interface feels clunky, and that wasn't the case in my opinion uh, on Disney Plus. Um, I loved that they had the first episodes of many highly anticipated uh, original series. So The World According to Jeff Goldblum, first episode was Ready to Rock. The Mandalorian, first episode was Ready to Rock. Um, the Imagineering documentary, first episode was Ready to Rock. I loved that they separated a lot of the uh, a lot of their IPs into uh, Disney through the decades, so you could go all the way back to the 20s and watch Mickey Mouse shorts through the 30s and see more shorts and and some of their movies and so on all the way to present day. What I don't like so much about the platform is they're really missing the kind of recently watched feature. Um, I find myself watching something and then pausing halfway through, going to do something else, and if I close out of the app and come back, I have to research for whatever I was originally watching. And so I, I feel like within the upcoming month, they're going to figure that one out and just give us the recently watched, but that that's a pain point in the user interface. Otherwise, the selection's great. It's awesome to have all this right at our fingertips, and uh I give it a, a letter grade B plus in my book. What was your first title streamed? The first thing that I streamed was episode one of the Imagineering documentary because I was really looking forward to that, especially because the Disney company hasn't really put anything out as far as documenting uh, the kind of behind the scenes that isn't in print. Um, so it was interesting to see how they were going to frame everything in the documentary. I loved the first episode of that, and I loved it so much that I wish they'd slowed it down a little bit Big and time. maybe spent a little bit longer on some of those smaller things, like instead of making the first episode Walt's entire life with the park, like, you know, maybe just like the first couple of years and like the next episodes, like the next couple of years and kind of like spread it out a little bit so that people like us can like soak it in. I just felt like they were moving so fast through some of it. I'm like, wait. I want more. But my favorite part was when they went to the top of the Matterhorn and they showed the footage yeah. of the basketball court. That was really cool. And they kind of acknowledged its like cult status. Yeah, big time. Something tells me that they they rushed through it because there was a lot of appearances by um, some folks that are either getting way up there in age or have passed away completely. So there's a lot of Marty Sklar in that first uh, episode and he passed away a year or two ago and so I feel like they anticipated doing more but the folks that they were going to bring on to reference either aren't with us or are growing older so they just combined what was going to be long form into one episode and we're going to slow down in the next five episodes um, and really see the through and through of everything that they give us. Yeah, I, I totally agree with all of your compliments, all of your criticisms on the platform. I think my favorite thing about it is rediscovering some old movies that I forgot how much I liked um, or I didn't realize how much I missed them. Uh, my favorite thing I've watched so far is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, which yeah. was a movie I loved when I was a little kid and I revisited it and it is so great and the effects have not aged at all. Hmm looks amazing the story's amazing um not a whole lot of 
like cultural issues a lot of these movies that you go back and revisit them like i tried to watch um davy crockett and i was like Ooh. Dude, eh. yeah, don't know if <laughs> i don't, don't know if i like that that'll so, go by today yeah i had yeah. to turn it off but Twenty Thousand leagues holds up um highly recommend it if if any of you've never seen that movie or haven't in a while um julia how have you enjoyed disney plus um it's honestly kind of a whirlwind um i don't have the best memory so i don't for me growing up as opposed to i'm discovering like disney movies um more in my adult life oddly enough because i'm actually an actor um and i have been called in for such parts such as ariel so i've had to do like research on like the movie ariel to see how i could like portray her in a park or on a ship so anyway Um, what I tie connect most with is the actual like Disney Channel original series like Hannah Montana and even Stevens and all that stuff and it's just interesting to like look back and I was watching Hannah Montana with my roommate and you could really get lost in the nostalgia I know I've been watching a ton of people's stories and like it's just literally all people are like hibernating and binging for days watching these like Disney Channel original series so anyway, I had I've had a lot of fun with it. We've had some weird glitches, but overall a positive experience. Right on. Well, I'm excited that uh you're opening the door to some of these Disney Channel original series, especially for Chris, who isn't as well versed in the decom realm, and I really want to get a decom bracket going, so this is his opportunity. Yeah, it's going to be a long road. It's going to be a long, long road, but I'm willing to do it for the podcast. I will say that it's so crazy to watch the series back and be like, oh my god, no offense to any of these actors. I have so much respect for Hilary Duff and you know, all those Chrissy Carlson Romano and all those lovely Disney kids. But it's so funny to watch these back and be like, oh, my gosh, like, what were you doing? (laughs) (laughs) The acting is not like when you were a kid, you were like, oh, my God, these kids are the best things ever. But like watching it back, it's interesting being like, huh. I remember that. Not so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get to the topic of today's episode, we are going to go ahead and talk about the demographic that picked our bracket. Chris, who is this week's demographic? Well, we did a little bit extra this week. We had our interns be a little bit sneaky, be extremely observant, and they selected for this bracket Disney Park guests who looked confused at the food menus at Galaxy's Edge. Now, we all know that they recently changed all the menus at Galaxy's Edge because people don't know what a Ronto is, and they, and they don't know what's chicken and what's pork and what's beef. So they got to simplify the menu a little bit because people just don't understand. And our interns picked out some of those people. They clearly did not understand, and they asked them about this bracket. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because if I was reading correctly, a lot of the names of the food items had in small print right under them what that consisted of. So it was like a chicken wrap with blah, blah, blah. But God forbid that you have some theming on your menu because uh, people were a little bit too confused. Well, it's interesting because like, I don't know what an Andorian tip-yip is, but I feel like part of the magic of going to this, you know, supposed real 
alien planet is trying things that you have no idea what they are or how they're going to taste. But, you know, people from certain parts of the country or whatever, you know, they might just want the classics. You know, they want chicken tenders. So, I don't know. Uh, well, hop your way over to Fantasyland. They got them for you I right guess there. we'll just have to hope that they had some great thoughts on this bracket. Well, speaking of, it's time to announce what our bracket is. Can we get a drum roll, please? <laughs> Thank you so much. This bracket topic is Best Disney Prince. Chris, what do you think about this? I think this episode might as well be called Best Disney Dogs Part 3, to be honest. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the field here is not very strong, so let's go ahead and just get this out of the way. It's so sad, but it's not. <laughs> it's okay. So let's go ahead and announce the field of 16. Dancing his way into the number one seed from Cinderella, Prince Charming. Sailing his way into the number two seed from the Little Mermaid, it's Prince Eric. Will he find this bracket cursed? It's number three, the Beast. When he's human, he's probably still going to be trash. Coming in at the number four seed from Princess and the Frog, it's Prince Naveen. This guy got bounced in the first round once upon a dream. It's number five from Sleeping Beauty, Prince Philip. His name is not Sven. Coming in at the number six spot from the movie Frozen, it's Kristoff. This prince is so well known he doesn't even need a name. Coming in at the number seven seed from Snow White, the prince. He can't wait to be king, but how is he at being a prince? Coming in at the number eight seed from The Lion King, it's Simba. Will he see the light at the end of this bracket? Coming in at number nine, Flynn Rider. Will he make a man out of this bracket? Coming in at number 10 from the movie Mulan, it's Lee Shang. This guy wishes he'll make it to the finals. Coming in at number 11 from the movie Aladdin, Aladdin. Guaranteed to be bounced in the first round. Coming in at number 12 from the movie Pocahontas, it's John Smith. This guy's gonna need a lot more than Hidgetus Fidgetus. Coming in at number 13 from Sword in the Stone, Arthur. Will he end up a sad llama in this bracket? Coming in at number 14 from The Emperor's New Groove, it's Kuzco. Oh dear, coming in at number 15, Bambi. Chances are he'll be sucking his thumb right out of this bracket. Coming in at the number 16 seed from the movie Robin Hood, it's Prince John. All right, so obviously the elephant in the room. A lot of these people aren't princes. Yeah, a lot of them aren't princes. Um, it turns out that as much as you think of Disney as like a prince and princess uh, entity, it's not. There's uh, there's few actual literal princes, but we figured that there's quite a few that we could kind of stretch into princes, uh, such as Li Shang. Li Shang is just a guy, and he marries Mulan, who is a Disney princess officially, according to Disney. Not necessarily, not necessarily according to the movie. There's no royalty on either end, but Disney calls Mulan a princess, and because Li Shang is with Mulan, he is thus a prince. So it's definitely a stretch for him. And then you have people like 
John Smith, same situation where they don't even end up together at the end of the movie, but because Pocahontas is officially a princess, he is officially a prince. And I mean, like, I guess technically uh, Pocahontas is a princess because she's the daughter of, like, the chief of their tribe, which if you were to make a parallel, you could call her a princess, but um, yeah, also a stretch. Aladdin, same thing. Marries Jasmine, becomes a prince. So the official princes are the prince, Prince Charming, Prince Philip, Prince Eric, the Beast, Prince Naveen, and Flynn Rider, who I guess in the Tangled cartoon series, they reveal he's of royal heritage. So he is a prince by birthright. Also, he marries Rapunzel in the Tangled Happily Ever After short or something, and he becomes a double prince, I guess, in that situation. So... Um, all these other guys are just kind of dudes that are slightly royal. Prince John's officially a prince, according to the movie. He's just kind of a bad guy. Bambi, same thing, officially a prince. But, like, Disney doesn't call him a prince, Simba. So, yeah, this is this is kind of a sloppy bracket. But you know what? We're going to debate all of these issues. I mean, and what do you expect out of people who are confused by themed menus? They are probably confused what a prince is, huh? So I guess we'll just dive headfirst into this thing with the first round matchup, number one, Prince Charming versus number 16, Prince John. Do I think Prince Charming is a good prince? I wouldn't say he's good, but I think he's better than Prince John. Prince John is the bad guy in Robin Hood. He really is a greedy guy who just wants money through taxes. He legit says at the beginning of the movie, steal from the poor to feed the rich. And if he knew anything about economics, he would know that that's a bad idea. He's not very inspiring. There's a reason that Robin Hood leads kind of a rebellion against him. He sucks his thumb a lot. He's pretty weak-willed and just not a very good prince. Charming has issues we can talk about later, but I'm bouncing Prince John right away. I'm also bouncing Prince John right away, although I do not agree, or maybe I won't agree, with the issues that you have with Prince Charming, but if your argument's compelling enough, I might agree, but I think Prince Charming's just fine. But regardless, Prince John's out. We are moving on. Right down the bracket, we are going to number eight Simba versus number nine Flynn Rider. All right, we all know that Simba is technically a prince, even though he's not really declared one, and it's kind of one of those situations where his dad is the leader, so therefore he is the next in in line to lead, thus making him a prince. And as we talked about in our heroes bracket, uh, he is easily persuaded as a young child, because most children are. He witnesses the death of his dad and is told to run away by his uncle. He, as he is, grows up with Timon and Pumbaa, Nala finds him and tries to convince him to come back, and he doesn't want to lead, and he doesn't think that's the place for him. Ultimately, he ends up going back, saves the day, becomes the leader of the pride. He's now the king. Flynn Rider is a thief. Um, he is very deceptive um he is uh uh, minorly manipulative and when i mean minorly i mean majorly he is really out just for himself uh when he meets rapunzel and in his own self-interest and he uses her to get what he needs and it isn't until the end where he turns and he's 
a good guy and they fall in love. Um, I think just if I'm just surface level basing upon who they are as people in Simba's case as a lion, um, at least Simba wasn't stealing and manipulating his love interest to get what he needs, which is just being a bad person. Um, and I'm outing Flynn Rider in this round. People who are familiar with this podcast know how I feel about The Lion King. I think it's good, not great. I think it's quite overrated. I think Simba's overrated, Mufasa's overrated, Scar's amazing, but that's about it. Here's what I love about Flynn Rider. He is an important cog in this changing idea of Disney princes, Disney princesses, and the whole chosen one love is something that just exists and you just stumble upon it and accept it how it is he's attractive she's attractive he's royal she's royal boom that's love Flynn Rider serves a very important role in kind of overthrowing that idea which for 2019 Disney audience is much better than you know the classic gender relationship huge moment I'm referring to is at the end of the movie when Flynn Rider cuts Rapunzel's hair. Mother Gothel has Rapunzel chained up. Rapunzel says, I will come quietly. I will go with you wherever you can use me however you want as long as I can save him. And Flynn doesn't let her do that. He cuts her hair off. Yep. Thus sacrificing himself for her because he is thinking one step ahead and knows that if she doesn't have the hair, Mother Gothel's going to die. Right. And so he saves her, not knowing that she can bring him back to life. So he basically sacrificed himself completely for her, which is an incredibly honorable, admirable move. And it's one of those moves that doesn't exist in those earlier Disney movies where princesses quote-unquote rescued just by showing up basically and smooching right this is a legitimate legitimate sacrifice act of courage and it's the new standard for what a disney prince has to be and simba's fine but like i said i just don't think he goes that extra mile he shows up when his pride land is on fire and fights his uncle kills him once the uncle comes back and he still has to fight him. That's an act of courage right there. He also wasn't a trash boy uh, growing up like Flynn was. And Flynn was a trash human as an adult. Yeah, but that argument's not going to hold up. So many of these guys are trash humans at the <laughs> sure, beginning of exactly. the movie. And then they turn into not trash humans. And that's part of the that's part of the prince. Sure, but in narrative. this matchup. That's part of the prince narrative. In this matchup, you can't say that like because he changes the narrative of all princes that therefore in this matchup he wins because that's not we're talking about this matchup we're not talking about overall i'm comparing i'm comparing the two i'm comparing the sacrifice simba makes for the sacrifice that flynn rider makes simba just goes to fight straight up so that he can reclaim his own crown and save the pride lands in the the process yeah and then restore the pride lands sure flynn is literally c- 
kills himself simply because he loves his princess. Yeah. Touching. Let that stew for a second. We don't need to. Julia, go ahead and break this tie. Who you got? I don't know if you want me to. Um, I don't know. I'm like indecisive Rapunzel. Um, I, I just love Flynn Rider, but that's not valid enough. Sure is for this podcast. Um, um, I just, I really, it come, it does come down to the fact that like, yeah, Flynn Rider was like a trash human being and like, yeah, like he did all this bad stuff, but like he risks his life. He, he, he kills himself. He sacrifices, he sacrifices himself. himself for the one that he loves. And it's, 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 it's kind of unfair to put him against Simba though. Cause like, as far as princes go, they're both pretty stand-up guys. Welcome to Mouse Madness, honey. Um, I'm gonna go with Flynn because all of these like famous princes are just like duh, and like they like make them attractive, and that's all that there is to it. But like Flynn's an actual human being with flaws, and you see him. You see him have a story of redemption. Cool. I'm gonna like I'm gonna say my last piece on Simba. One, sorry that he was too raw to not get stabbed by a obvious ploy. And two, <laughs> where it, he's just as qualified like his fight against Scar in Flames is just as admirable as being stabbed by a shadow monster of a woman. But we can go ahead and move on. Okay. We are moving on to number four, Prince Naveen versus number 13, Arthur. Arthur is just a boy who is um, squire on a good day. He's mostly a pot scrubber and cleans up after his uncle and cousin or something like that. And he meets a creepy wizard and then he pulls a sword out of a stone. He is a chosen one. He becomes king. Was he ever a prince? I don't know. Prince Naveen, was he ever a prince? I don't know. He's kind of a fraud. He came into New Orleans saying, I'm a prince. Everyone loved that he was there. Turned out he was disowned by his parents and he had no money. And he was just looking for some royalty to marry on his own so he could marry into money. So this is not a great matchup. Which one do you dislike less, I think, is how I'm going to approach it. Um, I think in this situation, I dislike Arthur less, which means I am advancing Arthur over Prince Naveen, primarily because he has some knowledge. He's a smart guy. Merlin teaches him things about the world and science, and he is a figure that the people of wherever castle he's at rally behind so yeah i guess arthur i mean arthur is not a prince he's a squire who pulls a sword out of an anvil and doesn't even want it and doesn't want to be king of camelot he just wants to be a squire he's settling for mediocrity like he says it to Merlin, like, I oh, don't know, I'm a squire. Like, I just want to be a squire. 
um, and he becomes King Arthur as a what ten year old boy at the end of the movie. Like he skips princedom entirely. Naveen's a prince, even if he's been disowned by his parents. And yeah, he's just as trash as Flynn, but Flynn made it on to the next one. And he also, like Flynn, changes at the end. And so, like, the fact that Naveen is actually a prince and changes his ways of being kind of just out there for himself and for his own good and only trying to find love for money, but ends up finding love with Tiana who doesn't come from money and so his motives change once he realizes what true love is i'm gonna go ahead and move naveen on which means we're going back to julia for the tiebreaker yeah it's kind of the same story of redemption there um i think i'm gonna go with arthur i wish all of our viewers could see my face right now i swear this is not collusion this is not collusion. Tell us why Arthur is the better choice. I'm a huge fan of Sword in the Stone. It is so underrated. Um, I think Arthur is the better choice. Not to go back to previous brackets, but we've already got one story of redemption. Do we really need two? Number one. You- Number two. <laughs> Flynn moved on. He's a story of redemption. <laughs> we already have one, and we know Flynn's going to ring because he like risked his life. Anyway, so... I'm going to say Arthur because he's, like, a true underdog in this. And I think, like, he, it's, like, that whole, oh, my God, I'm going to divert back to musical theater, but it's that whole, like, you know, crappy childhood, like, he, Arthur was abused, like, seriously abused by, like, these horrible, horrible people for so long. And he was so innocent in it. He was so innocent in it. He didn't even, like... He didn't even know what he deserved. In the end, even though he didn't want it, I think he got what he deserved. Because all he really wanted, he was just so open and innocent and, you know, wanting to just know and absorb this knowledge that Merlin had to offer. And I think, I don't know, I just think he's, he, he needs to get what he deserves, which is to move on to the next round. Arthur moves on. Let's go on to the next round here. We have number five, Prince Philip, versus number 12, John Smith. Uh, It's kind of a stretch to consider John Smith a prince. Prince Philip uh, goes against his father's wishes uh, to marry a princess, even though he ends up marrying a princess, but when he falls in love, doesn't realize uh, Aurora is a princess. Um, He fights a dragon. John Smith is a colonizer. Prince Philip moves on to the next round. So I admire the fact that Prince Philip fights a dragon. I really, really do. Here's the problem I have with Prince Philip is that he's a huge creep. And I will refer to how he inserts himself into the story and sneaks up upon Aurora as proof of this creepiness. She is literally minding her own business in the middle of the woods, singing and dancing, and he like grabs her from behind and starts joining into her song which is extremely creepy and should not be anyone's inspiration for finding your princess in life john smith is not perfect either but i respect john smith's political game he is a diplomat and while he starts off the movie as a world-renowned killer of Native Americans, he does a 180 
and becomes a friend of the natives at the end of the movie. And he inspires a ceasefire between his colonists and the indigenous peoples, which is really awesome. And he teaches everyone that love and acceptance and compromise are the keys to a successful existence. And so I think that that is an extremely princely move. A good prince is one who is inspiring and is a good diplomat. And I think John Smith is one of those people. And I think Prince Philip, while he does kill Maleficent the dragon, that's kind of where his list of good qualities begins and ends. So we are throwing this back to Julia again for a tiebreaker. 100%. Um, So... I am a little biased on this, just knowing the history behind Pocahontas. I personally think John Smith is trash. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, but Prince Philip is... Um, I I think his good quality, other than like the manly fact of slaying a dragon, is that there's a point in the movie when he doesn't know that he's going to marry Aurora, and Aurora is actually the princess... Um, And he says, no, I'm not going to marry the princess. I'm going to marry this other girl that I met. And I don't know. I just think that speaks volumes. Also, he was led to Aurora by the critters that took his clothes or took Aurora's like hood to her because they wanted him to meet Aurora. So Kyle, that does not make it any less creepy, my friend. Oh, no, for sure. But here we are in a fairy tale. Oh, it's okay if the animals lead you there. Well, if, if like, the you girls into it, is You cannot use that creepy? defense in everything that you've already said, which is defending <sighs> John Smith in this bracket. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot be that person right now. John Smith had, like, hundreds of kids and never got married. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you, America? Also, Pocahontas was 10 years old when they met. Okay, on that note, we'll go ahead and advance Prince Philip to the Elite Eight and move to the other side of the bracket where we have the number two seed Prince Eric versus the number 15 seed Bambi. Now, Prince Eric is a fan favorite Disney prince, and he has a much healthier meet cute with his princess. He falls off a boat and she saves him, which is, which is awesome definitely not creepy which passes that test for me although he is kind of a giant whiner baby and i'm not sure he inspires a lot of hope in his kingdom in his subordinates in his counselors he's always like oh i'm just gonna marry like girl with the voice don't know who she is but you know whatever do what i want oh i like that girl a lot but she doesn't have the voice i don't know He's kind of wishy-washy, not a very strong presence, and uh, I just like Bambi a lot better in this spot. Bambi is the young prince. The entire forest comes to see him being born, which is a total powerful prince move. He meets an awesome lady deer, and he, at the end of the movie, assumes control of the entire forest because he is a prince who is good under pressure and he is experienced in the challenges and heartbreaks of life. He's just someone I feel like I can count on in any situation. I would die for the young Prince Bambi, so he is advancing to the Elite Eight. 
I don't have much to add there. I was also going to move Bambi right along to the next round, mostly because uh, he's less problematic than Eric, and Eric's kind of... Uh, he he is blinded by Ariel's voice and is willing to pursue another lady based on her voice when he already has this connection in person with Ariel, and that's kind of trash. So I'm moving Bambi on as well. And he throws his flute into the ocean. (laughs) And perhaps my least favorite shot in Disney. What a polluter. All right, we're moving on to the number seven, The Prince from Snow White. Verse number 10, Li Shang from Mulan. Um, I have a feeling that Chris is already all over this point, so I'm just going to already make it because he's already hinted at it. Uh, The prince unpromptedly kisses Snow White at the end. Everyone assumes that she's dead. Why kiss her on the lips, you creep? So because of that, Li Shang moves on. I agree. The prince does literally nothing. He shows up at the beginning and sings in her face and then shows up at the end and sings in her dead face. So... Li Shang advances. Moving right along, we have the number three seed, The Beast, from Beauty and the Beast versus number 14, Emperor Cusco. Emperor Cusco, absolutely not a prince in any way, but he does assume some royal-type duties in his little empire, I guess. Um, He's another one of those guys who goes through kind of a trash character arc, where at the end of the movie, he's a caring guy who cares about the kinfolk and the small folk and the... The peasants and the llamas, um, which is admirable. Uh, he starts off the movie is not a good prince at all, and you get to see that firsthand. His interactions with all of his town folk, and they come to, you know, ask for things from him, and he has them thrown out the window because they throw off his groove. He has Isma as one of his counselors, which why? Why would you even have that person on your staff? I don't know. Cusco, not a super strong leader, not a friendly guy. But the beast is absolutely horrible, man. He is like so rude and mean. And I don't know why his little inanimate object friends stick with him. He is mean and violent and aggressive and kind of manipulative. And, you know, I'm sure Lumiere and Cogsworth and all of them, they just want to be human again. And I guess they are willing to do whatever it takes. But yeah, that's literally it. This guy is a horrible person, and I don't know how he ends up with Belle at the end just because he is a sad guy and is sympathetic, um, and he somehow tricks Belle into falling in love with him. But, yeah, Beast, not great. I'm advancing Cusco by default. Beast literally kidnaps Belle and locks her up and then gets mad when she doesn't want to come to dinner with him. Are you joking? Cusco moves on. Next up, we have number six, Kristoff versus number 11, Aladdin. Uh, th- this is tough because Kristoff uh, kind of becomes the prince at the very end, and Aladdin also becomes the prince at the very end. But the difference is Kristoff was always true to himself and very a logical person, and even though he was uh, a little bit... Um, of kind of like a a loner and not very trusting of others. Uh, At least he wasn't Aladdin who literally didn't listen to anyone and used magic to try and get a girl and trick her into falling in love with him, which isn't the most ideal characteristic. So for me, Kristoff is moving on. 
Yeah, not good form on Aladdin's part. It is unfortunate that we are doing this bracket before we see Frozen 2. If my memory serves me correctly, Kristoff doesn't technically become a prince at the end of Frozen. He just kind of like kisses Anna and you assume that they're like dating or something. And I think in Frozen Fever, she calls Kristoff her boyfriend. But I assume that somewhere in Frozen 2, there's some kind of wedding or something and he ends up becoming a true prince. But um, going up against Aladdin doesn't take much. This guy is a loser. So I am unanimously advancing Kristoff here. And we can talk some more about his qualities in the next round, I suppose. I vote for Kristoff too. Because he reminds me of my boyfriend. <laughs> wow. Thank you, my Anna. Okay. We are going to bring it back around to the top of the bracket. Going for our Elite Eight. Our first Elite Eight matchup is the number one seed Prince Charming Verse number nine, Flynn Rider. So we talked ad nauseum about Flynn Rider in the first round, so let's talk a little bit about Prince Charming. What do we know about Prince Charming? He is a guy that people love. He is a guy that everyone in the kingdom wants to go see, kind of guy that everyone in the kingdom wants to get married to. The problem is you don't see a lot of him acting with other like real people you see him in this kind of dream state with Cinderella while they're dancing around and then he sends his little servant guy to go find her slipper and that's kind of it he also does kind of have a Prince Eric situation where he is extremely unsure about who he wants to marry and he's really waiting for the right person to come along and I really wish that there was more of an element like in Sleeping Beauty where he meets Cinderella when she's not dressed up in like a fancy royal gown to kind of show that he has a more understanding and relatable side. But in the cartoon classic, that's kind of all you get from him. There is a lot more in the live action version where he does get some of those scenes and you do get a sense of his character and an incredible portrayal by the incomparable Richard Madden, a.k.a. King in the North, Rob Stark. <laughs> but you don't get that in the classic and that's the movie we're talking about here. So, so I oh. just think that there's not enough to work with when it comes to this Prince Charming. So I'm going with Flynn Rider again, just for the sake of him being a relatable, lovable, honorable guy. Um, I don't see Flynn as being that honorable. I see the Prince Charming being honorable because we don't know any more about him. So he could be bad. Flynn could have been good, but we see that Flynn was bad until the end. We see that Prince Charming was basically good throughout his all of his appearances i think that it's also uh it, it's he's admirable as you brought up that he felt such a connection f with cinderella and not knowing who she was that he essentially sent a search for her after she left now that can also be interpreted in the chris kind of creepy way and that like what if she was just trying to like dip and she was not into it you know but it's i think it's pretty obvious in the movie that she was into it um and he sent a search and found the one that he felt most connected to. And I think that's very admirable of him, as opposed to Flynn, who is using Rapunzel to get what he needs and doesn't realize that what he needs is her until the very end. I'm moving Prince Charming on, which means we're going back to Julia. Um, 
Oh, this is going to be crazy, but I think I'm going with Charming as well. Right. Um, I'm so biased by this. There are so many interpretations of this tale. Um, I'd also like to point out that, just some food for thought, isn't it interesting how with the Disney films evolving as they do over the years, how these princes become more and more human and we see them have more and more human traits and more and more flaws. Um, anyway, I'm going to go with charming <laughs> strictly because I think that because I'm biased and I believe in the live action and I believe that they did me beforehand when she was in rags. All right, we are going off book here. Anna. Sorry, sorry. In so many versions, they meet beforehand. We are advancing vanilla into the final four. Moving on, number 13, Arthur, and number five, Philip, meeting up here in the Elite Eight. Um, like I said before, Arthur just doesn't really like, he's, he's satisfied with mediocrity. And is that very princely? I don't think so. Uh, Prince Philip, uh, he finds true love in a place that he doesn't think he's supposed to find true love and where his dad doesn't want him to find true love, and he does. Um, before Chris even gets to speak, I will say that the weird, creepy kiss part happens because Maleficent tells him that's the only way to break the curse. She informs him that's how it's supposed to be broken. He just is doing what will ever bring her out of her sleep. That being said... Um, I, I still think that Arthur is is not real, and I'm moving Philip on. All right. Well, you had me last round for sure, but I am also going to advance Philip this round simply because he slays the dragon. And that <laughs> is pretty cool and an extremely princely and admirable thing to do. I couldn't slay a dragon personally. Yeah, you could. But I would have the courage to attempt to pull a sword out of an anvil. Not even a stone. Sword of the Anvil, people. Come on. Get with the picture. Sword in the so Anvil. I am going, Philip, here to the final four, which brings us back around to number 15, Bambi, versus number 10, Lee Shang. Now, we didn't get to talk a lot about Lee Shang last round. He pretty much steamrolled the, the prince. So let's talk a little bit about him. He is a military commander who is pretty hard on his troops. He has an interesting relationship with Mulan because most of the movie, he knows her as Ping and as a man. So when he finds out that Mulan is actually a woman, he lets her go free because she saved his life at one point earlier in the film. He meets up with Mulan in the very last scene, the climax scene, where she fights Shan Yu. And in that moment, he knows that she's a woman. And he, I guess, falls in love with her in that moment, which I will say that that is a pretty good setting to fall in love with someone in a moment of trial and difficulty and chaos. And I I do buy that they have a mutual loving relationship. It happens very, very fast, but but I buy it. I do. Um, th the, the big question with Li Shang is, is he an inspiring leader? Is he a man of the people? He whips his troops into shape, and as a 
prince? Would he use the same type of military strictness to govern his people? I mean, it's tough because he's not really a prince. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a scary guy. Tactically, he's not a great military leader either. So I don't really have a lot of faith in him if we were talking about, you know, living in a kingdom where Li Shang is the prince. I would trust Mulan to make all of those types of decisions in that situation. On the other hand, you got Bambi. Do I want to live in a kingdom where Bambi is the king and or the prince? The answer is yes, I do. It is a place of freedom. It is a place of growth, of rejuvenation. Every single year, new opportunities growing, new flowers growing, people falling in love left and right. Living in Bambi's forest seems like a great place to live. He's someone who has a lot of friends. He's friends with really fun, outgoing people like Thumper. He's also friends with kind of awkward, stinky people like Flower. This is a man who inspires large groups of people. He's a person who inspires small groups of people. He's incredibly likable. He just has everything that you need to be a great prince. And so for that reason, I'm advancing Bambi to the final four over Li Shang. Um, I don't know that I agree that we can draw conclusions that Li Shang would rule his people as if he was a military commander because I think that his troop was led as all troops were and that was just the training and the and any sort of military the commanders are going to be strict now is he going to force his people and his kingdom to like climb poles and stuff I don't think so but maybe he's going to be strict and uh, I don't I don't know if it's kind of like abusiveness that you're leading towards but I don't think he would be that despite that I was also going to move Bambi along because I think that Bambi has a lot of world experience for being such a young buck I think Bambi is two years old I think that he uh he shows that he can still face tragedy and learn from it and use that to his advantage to become a better leader um he doesn't give up just because his mother passes away uh and and just refuses to leave his thorn thicket he comes back as a young man reconnects with his with his girlfriend dear um they have two a prince and a princess of their own and he goes to lead the uh rule the forest with his dad so i think bambi's great uh not quite as flawed as Li Shang. Bambi moves on for me, too. And he's cute. And, and those eyelashes are on point. He is a precious deer. All right, moving on to the final matchup of the Elite Eight. We have Cusco versus Kristoff. Um, I will go ahead, like, as much as Kristoff is kind of standoffish and as much as he's... Um, Lone Wolf looks out for himself really only. He's not quite as like he's not sexist like Cusco is. And Cusco has uh, a couple of parts where he's like choosing either what a, a a girlfriend or like a servant at the beginning and he's and he's uh talking about the qualities of the lineup of women that he's there and he refers to one of them as like oh you must have a good personality kind of inferring that she's ugly like you're kind of not a great human Kristoff is 
much more relatable, I think. Um, he's not so much of a spoiled brat as Cusco is, and I just think that if you need a prince, Cusco's not the one that you want. Um, it doesn't take Kristoff to be turned into a completely different species in order to change his ways and become more open and loving. It does for Cusco, so I'm moving Kristoff off into the uh, Final Four. Yeah, you don't really get that sense of entitlement with Kristoff. I mean, his background is in ice farming and you know it's a really tough business break your back kind of business and I think he gets a lot of really valuable life experience in that way and I think he really becomes a complete person when he meets Anna and he falls in love with her and he kind of can mix the practical day-to-day life with the you know fun relational life so um, I am also going with Kristoff here and that means we have our final four set. On one side of the bracket, we have number one seed Prince Charming versus the number five seed Prince Philip. And on the other side, we have the number 15, the under deer of the bracket, Bambi, versus number six, Kristoff. Julia, we've reached the end of this episode. Tell me your thoughts on the final four. Um, I love Kristoff and Bambi. And let me just say, let me just say um, that I just want to point out props to Disney for um, having a new generation of princes and having a new generation of how they tell stories with women and men. Um, If you look at some of these earlier films, it's very much like we were talking, boy meets girl, they kiss, they live happily ever after. in the newer films, you have, you know, these two people actually developing a relationship, like Anna and Kristoff actually developing a relationship. And in Frozen, you have, like, this spoof on um, classical Disney films, which is Anna and Hans. I don't know if you can use any of that, but I just like the progress that Disney's made in teaching young women or young girls how love actually works. Well... We will talk about all those final thoughts in part two of this episode when we get through the final four and into the finals and crown our best prince. Pun very much intended. And until next time, you guys can follow us along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. You can send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear you guys' thoughts and opinions, especially on this one, which got a little wild. Um, please leave an iTunes review and rating. We It really helps out the show, gets us uh, a lot of exposure within the iTunes algorithm. So we really appreciate if you've rated and reviewed or one of the other. And until next time, stay out of the meadow. Oh,